All right, well, we're there in Second Chronicles chapter number 7. And of course, on the Sunday mornings, we've been going through this series. Uh, the last six, seven weeks, we've been uh, doing this series entitled Mixing Politics and Religion. And uh, because of the presidential election and people's minds have been on politics, uh, I decided to preach a series of sermons just kind of explain to us uh, what the Bible teaches about government, how we should think about government, how God thinks about government. And we've been uh, dealing with that. Of course, the election has now come to an end. Uh, last night, uh, Joe Biden uh, gave his victory speech for uh, winning the presidential election. And uh, this, this series is coming to an end as well. And this is the last sermon in this series. And next week, we're going to be celebrating our Worker Appreciation Day. And then the week after that, we'll begin a brand new series. And we'll have cards for you and all of that uh, next Sunday in the bulletin. Uh, however, today I want to speak on this subject, and uh, just as we finish up this series, uh, this morning I'm preaching a sermon entitled, Now What? Uh, you know, and the question there, now, now what? Question mark. What do we do? And uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you four things that every Christian must do after the, uh, this election. Four things that every Christian must do. And uh, these are four things that we should do instead of worrying, instead of uh, living in fear. Uh, four things every Christian uh, must do. Now, we're there in Second Chronicles chapter 7, and uh, earlier this year, <clears throat> I preached an entire series on the subject of revival. And in that entire series, I purposely did not go to Second Chronicles 7.14, uh, because I knew that I would be going to Second Chronicles 7.14 in this series later on in the year. Uh, but Second Chronicles 7.14 is honestly probably the quintessential verse uh, when it comes to revival. Now, it doesn't mention revival, it doesn't mention the word revival, but when it comes to what revival looks like or how to have revival, this really is the uh, text verse. And I want you to notice there in Second Chronicles 7.14, now the context, of course, is Solomon is, uh, is, has just built the temple, and they are uh, dedicating the temple to the Lord, and the Lord is speaking to Solomon, acknowledging Solomon, and this is what God says to Solomon. So I want you to understand that this is God speaking to Solomon, and this is what God says, Second Chronicles 7.14, he says, if my people. Now notice he doesn't say we the people. <laughs> he says, if my people, uh, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let me just say this by way of introduction. I, I think it's interesting. And keep your place there in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. That's our text for this morning. But if you would go with me to the book of First Peter in the New Testament, uh, if you towards the end of the New Testament, if you start at the end of the book, uh, the book of Revelation, and head backwards, you have Revelation, Jude, Third, Second, and First John, Second and First Peter. Revelation, Jude, Third, Second, and First John, Second and First Peter. Go to First Peter chapter four, and we'll look at a verse that we've looked at recently. But I'd like you to see it again. It's interesting to me, when you look at one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible and regarding revival, that it begins with these two statements, if my people which are called by my name, if my people which are called by my name. Because when you talk to most Christians today, if you were to walk up to just the average person that identifies himself as a conservative Christian, and you were to ask them, what is it that is hindering 
revival in our country? What is it that is hindering the work of God uh, in our country? That is, uh, you know, prolonging uh, wickedness in our country. Most people, and I understand why they would do this, I understand why you might do this or why I might do this, but most people might say, well, it's the world. You know, it's just worldliness and worldly people. Or they might say it's the sodomites. It's the LGBTQ, X, Y, and Z community. And it is all the homosexuals and their agenda. Or it's the liberals. Or it's the media. Or it's Black Lives Matters. Or it's whatever. It's Joe Biden. It's Kamala Harris. And that's what we would say. We would say, you know, the reason that this country is not experiencing a revival, not uh, understanding, not the reason that Christians are not knowing God and making God known. If you remember, that was the uh, definition of revival that we learned earlier this year. The reason for that, they would say, it's all these exterior things. It's all these other things. It's somewhere out there. The reason is somewhere out there, not in here. It's not our fault. It's their fault. It's the Democrats' fault. It's the liberals' fault. It's the sodomites' fault. And look, I'm all for preaching. Everything I just mentioned, I'm all for preaching all against all those people. It's the media's fault. It's the liberals. Look, uh, they, they would blame all that. But it's interesting because if you ask God, if you ask God, what's the problem? Why is there not revival? He doesn't say, if the Democrats. He doesn't say, if the liberals. He doesn't say, if the sodomites. He says this, if my people, which are called by my name, if you're there in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17, the Bible says this, 1 Peter 4, 17, for the time is come that judgment, notice judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? See, we say, oh, we want God's judgment to come upon these uh, wicked people. But wait a minute. The Bible says that judgment must begin at the house of God. Hey, revival begins with God's people. You say, what's the reason? What's the reason uh, for, for the state of our nation and the state in which it is? If you were to ask God, if you were to ask the Bible, it would, the answer would be this, if my people... And it must begin with us. It must begin with you, and it must begin with me. Judgment must begin at the house of God. Here God tells Solomon, if my people, which are called by my name, then he says this, he says, shall. And what he's going to do in the rest of this chapter, he's going to give us four things that he says my people must do. Four things my people must do if they want to experience revival. Four things my people must do if they want to experience the hand of God, the power of God, the healing of God upon their country. He says these are the four things. I mean, I I think this is an amazing text. God is saying, you want to solve all your national problems? Here you go. One verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14. What do we do, God? Do we have to get, uh, you know, do we have to uh, protest that the Democrats stole the, me- the, the election? And look, I, I'm sure the Democrats did steal the election. But, it, you know, we got to make that our agenda and go protest and make sure we get Trump in there. No, 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 no. If you ask God, here's what he would say. He'd say, if my people, which are called by my name, And then he gives us four things, and none of them have to do with politics. None of them have to do with protesting. None of them have to do with picketing. 
You say, what does he say? Well, first step, he says, shall humble themselves. Shall humble themselves. Now, you're there in Second Chronicles 7.14, or you're there in First Peter, and, and do me a favor, please keep your place right there in First Peter. We're going to come right back to it. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Daniel. Keep your place in First Peter. Go to Daniel. Towards the end now of the Old Testament, we have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter number 4. It's interesting to me that if you were to ask God what needs to happen to turn a nation back to God, to turn a nation back to God, it's interesting to me because if, if it were me, I would not start with this. I'd probably start with prayer, which is the next thing he mentions. I'd probably start with Bible reading, which is, the next, which is something that he doesn't really mention, and it is there, and we'll look at it. I'd start with church attendance, which is something that is covered uh, in a different part of this uh, uh, chapter. But God says, hey, if you want to turn a nation back to God, he said, number one, I need my people. He said, I'm not worried about the rest. He said, judgment begins at the house of God. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, okay, God, what do you need us to do? You want us to memorize the verse? You want us to read? You want us to attend church? And look, all those things are important. All those things are needed. But God says, no, the first thing I need you to do is to humble yourself. What does it mean to be humble? The word humble means a lowering of oneself. It means to yield yourself. It means to see yourself in your proper perspective and realize that there are other things that are more important than you. That you must yield yourself to something greater than yourself. God says you must humble yourself. And it's interesting to me that the candidate that Christians across this entire country decided to promote and to put all their backing behind was the one guy that, you know, if there's one word you cannot use to describe Donald Trump, it's humility. And God, and God says, no, that's the number one thing. You don't know how to heal a land, you begin with humility. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. And look, there's, there's nothing new. Leaders tend to be proud, arrogant people. In Daniel chapter 4, we have King Nebuchadnezzar, who's the Donald Trump of his day. Extremely arrogant. And notice what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 25. Notice what God says to Nebuchadnezzar. He says that they shall drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. And this is something that actually happened to Nebuchadnezzar. God made him go crazy for seven years, and he began to act like a beast, and began to act like an animal. He says, and seven times shall pass over thee. And I want you to notice verse 25, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. You say, Pastor, are you discouraged uh, that Joe Biden is now our president? And look, I will tell you this. I'm surprised that Joe Biden is our president. I don't believe that all these... Uh, I, can't, I, 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 I should say, I can't believe that as many people as they are saying voted for that man actually voted for that man. But I will tell you this. It might have surprised me. It might have surprised you. But it didn't surprise God. Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. 
The Bible says that it is God that puts uh, leaders and allows leaders. It is God. All of these things are filtered through God. And God allows leaders. You say, well, why would God give us a leader like Joe Biden? I'll tell you this. God gives nations the leaders they deserve. And Joe Biden is the leader this country deserves. So thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of man, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the trees, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after thou shalt have known. Notice these words. I love these words. These are probably some of my favorite words in the entire Bible. He says, until, he says, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Say, Pastor, are you, are you concerned with our country and the direction it's going to go politically and the economy? You know what? Here's what I know. The heavens do rule. And it, none of this caught, it caught me by surprise. It caught you by surprise. None of it caught. 2020 has caught all of us by surprise. But God, it, coronavirus didn't catch God by surprise. And the election didn't catch God by surprise. Look, you got to get to the place where you, it's not enough to just say, I, I believe the Bible. You actually have to believe the Bible. And if you believe the Bible, here's what you must believe. The heavens do rule. Amen. That God is the one who establishes kingdoms and God gives that power to, whom, to whomsoever he will. And you say, but, but what about someone as, as terrible as Joe Biden and, and, and Kamala Harris? Well, look at verse 37 of the same chapter, Daniel chapter 4. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol thee and honor the king of heaven. This is after he uh, acknowledged his pride and, 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 and became humble and he got his reasoning back. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those, notice what he says, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. He said, what's the first step? What's the first step towards revival? It's humility. It is realizing that if we're going to accomplish anything, if we're going to get anything done, we must be humble. It's interesting to me that this is where God begins. God begins with humility. And again, look, just understand this. You are never going to convince me that if the Lord Jesus Christ was voting, he would have voted for that man. Shall humble themselves. But you know the problem? Go to the book of Colossians if you would. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The problem is not necessarily with a president that's not humble. The problem is with Christians that are not humble. And look, as far as I can tell, the only way that Christians could even support a man that arrogant is because we are not humble. He says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. You say, well, how, how, could, how could we not be humble? What, what, what do you mean by that? Well, here, here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that humility is when we esteem others better than ourselves. The Bible teaches that humility is when we yield ourselves to someone else. And look, when it comes to humility, you say, what, what, why, what does humility have to do with a nation being brought back to God? Here's what it has to do with, 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 with humility. It has to do with the fact that Christians have not put God in his proper place. Colossians 1.17, are you there? 
Colossians 1.17, the Bible says this, and he, the context is Jesus. You can look it up on your own time if you'd like. You can read the whole chapter and get the context. And he, notice these words, is before all things. And, and that is a theological statement to his deity. Remember Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He is before all things. Uh, the Bible says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Notice these words, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, often when we, when we look at this word preeminence, and I've said this myself, it means that God comes first, and there's definitely an argument to be made there. The Bible says that we should seek first the kingdom of God, and, and we understand those things. But preeminence is more than, than, than God or Jesus coming first. Preeminence is it, it, it's bigger than that. It's not, preeminence is not necessarily only priority. See, priority is that Jesus comes first, and then comes this, and then comes that. But preeminence is this idea that he is above all things, that he is before all things. See, preeminence is not that God is the first thing. Preeminence is that God is the only thing. See, you say, well, why, why is it that you would say that Christians are not humble today? Because in most Christians' lives, God does not even come first much less come all. Paul said, Christ, who is our life. Luke chapter 9, if you would, go there. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Luke 9, 23. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 9, 23. The Bible says this, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. What does that mean? That is a lowering of oneself. That is a denial of self. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, in most Christians' lives, look, I'm talking about American Christianity today. In most Christians' lives, look, just, just admit it. Just honestly look at your life. And maybe, maybe this isn't true of you, but I would say of most Christians, we all need to take some time and ask ourselves, does God really have preeminence in our lives? Are we, have we humbled ourselves and denied ourselves to the point where we would say, no, God, not only is he first, God is everything. See, Christians today, they, they get this idea that God is a means to an end. People come to church, and I understand it, and I, there's nothing wrong with it. We're a spiritual hospital, and we're here to try to help people. People come to church when they're hurting, their marriages are falling apart, or their kids are going astray, or they're, 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 they're having issues in life, and they come here and they think, well, God will solve my problems, and, and, and God will help me. But they, the problem is that they look as God as a means to an end. If I come to God, then God will help me with my health. If I come to God, then God will help me with my finances. If I come to God, then God will help me with my relationships. If I come to God, then God will help me with my children. And I'm here to tell you, God will help you with all those things. But please understand, God is not a means to an end. God is the end. The goal is God. The purpose is God. The reason that you and I were left on this earth after salvation was to glorify God, was to serve God, was to live for God, and that requires humility. To say it's not me. It's not about me. 
It's not about who I am and what I want and my desires. It is about God. See, God begins by saying, if my people would lower themselves, would position themselves appropriately, would take perspective and realize that God should have the preeminence. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Then he says this. Keep your place there in First Peter, if you would. Go, go back to Second Chronicles 7.14. Then he says these words. He says, and pray. And pray. See, God's given us these steps. Four things. And look, here, I'm here to tell you, these are four things every Christian must do after this election. What are they? We must humble ourselves. You say, oh, I'm, I'm humble. No, humble doesn't mean not boasting or bragging. I mean, that's elementary level humble. Somebody should have taught that to Donald Trump. That, that's something you teach a seven-year-old. You know, it's not becoming to be a boastful and a bragger. That, that's, that's, that's very shallow, deep, you know, very humility is just not bragging. Okay, great. You graduated Sunday school. Now let's grow up a little bit. There's more to humility than just not talking well about yourself. Humility is realizing that I must yield myself to God. That I am not the most important person in my life. That I am not the God of my own life. That I am not the leader and the ruler of my life, but that Christ must have preeminence. And look, whenever in the Bible, whenever people got a real view of God, it always produced in them a humility. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and holy and lifted up, he bowed himself down. When, when, when Peter got a good look at Jesus and realized this was more than just a man, he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. See, humility is having a proper view of God. And his position in our lives. And then he says, and pray. You say, well, that's pretty basic. Go to James, if you would. If you kept your place in 1 Peter, right, after, uh, right before 1 Peter, you have the book of James. And continue to keep your place either in 1 Peter or James, James chapter 5. You say, prayer is pretty basic. I mean, I, I thought we'd get something a little deeper than that. Well, hold on a second. Please don't answer this out loud, but let's uh, answer this in your own mind and your heart. How much time did you actually spend in prayer this week? I mean, let's quantify it. Now, please don't say it out loud. I'm not a Catholic priest up here. You don't have to confess your sins to me. But honestly, ask yourself, but you know who you need to confess your sins is to God. Oh, well, prayer, Pastor. I mean, we thought we'd get a little something deeper than that. I mean, and prayer. I thought you were going to preach on end times prophecy and Joe Biden and blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. How about this? How much time have you spent in prayer? How much time have Christians actually spent in prayer? And I'm not talking about how much time you spent in prayer at midnight on election night when it looked like Trump might lose the presidency. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how much time have we actually, as God's people, spent in prayer. Let me tell you something. You know why we don't pray? Because we don't have a right view of God. Because our mind, our thoughts on prayer is do everything we can do, finagle everything we can finagle, do this deal, do that deal, get this going, get all these things. And if all of that doesn't work, if all of that doesn't work, then at 11.59 p.m. on, on, on election night, then I guess we should pray. No, you know what? The, the first thing we should do is pray. He says, and pray. But please understand this. The problem with prayer is this. Sometimes people say, well, I don't pray because God doesn't answer my prayer. But the reason God doesn't answer your prayer is because you're praying for things that are not humble. 
The Bible says, you have not received, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. See, all your prayers consist of, God, give me a million dollars. God, you know, help me get this toy and that toy and help me go on that vacation. And, and look, and I'm not saying that it's wrong to, to pray for our daily bread, but look, God, God says, see, Jesus taught us this. Sometimes prayer must ask this question or make this statement, not my will, but thine be done. See, prayer is about us connecting into the will of God. And sometimes God's will is different than yours. In fact, I know God's will sometimes is different than yours because I know that for most of you, God's will, your will was not Joe Biden, but it was God's. Say, so how can you say that? Okay, well, let's look at a, a man who experienced revival, James chapter 5. Look at verse 16. James speaking to us of the great prophet Elijah. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The word avail or availeth means that it's effective, it's beneficial, it's advantageous. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Then he says, he, he makes that statement, and then he says, let me give you an example. Here's the example, verse 17. Elias, it's the New Testament way of saying Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. Here's what he's saying. Elijah was a man just like you and I are men. He's just a human being. He was not a deity. But here's what Elias did. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly. He said, what did he pray for? Well, notice that it might not rain. Say, Pastor, I don't appreciate you spending the last six weeks preaching against Donald Trump. Now Biden's elected and it's your fault. (laughs) Okay. Let's go back to the Electoral College and explain that. But you know, but I I mean, I'll take it. I wish wish that God would give me that type of influence. (laughs) That my preaching could sway an election. You know, well, Joe Biden's not going to be the president. He's going to destroy the economy. Look, I don't want the economy destroyed just like you don't in, in my flesh, but have you ever thought to think that maybe God does? Have you ever stopped to think that maybe God put Joe Biden as the president of the United States of America to destroy our economy, that people might turn back to God? See, God's will. See, God's not interested in your vacation, in your cruise, in your second home, or your fifth vehicle. God is interested in souls getting saved. And if it means losing the economy, if it means the man of God praying that it might not rain, and people come back to God, See, that's real prayer. Not my will, but thine be done. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, and people died, and women died, and widows died. The economy was destroyed. But because of it, Elijah was able to stand on Mount Carmel and and, and tell the people, to choose God, to turn to God. And they did. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain. And the earth brought forth her fruit. See, God says, if you ask God, see, if you ask conservative Christians, what's the problem with America? Black Lives Matter. 
And Black Lives Matter is a problem. And if you don't understand that, you, you're listening to too much of you know, mainstream media. Black Lives Matter has nothing to do with racism. It has everything to do with the LGBTQ uh, agenda of this country. And if I was a black man, I'd be offended that they've connected their filth to, to, to the black community. But see, if you ask the conservatives, what's the problem? Kamala Harris, what's the problem? Joe Biden, what's the problem? Hillary Clinton, what's the problem? The liberals, what's the problem? The Democrats, what's the problem? The taxes, what's the problem? You know, that, the, these people and those people and that. But God said, no, 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 I'll tell you what the problem is. My people are not humble. My people are not praying. When, when God says, here's the answer, he says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Then he says this, he says, and pray. Then he says this. Here's the third step. And seek my face. And seek my face. Matthew chapter 5, if you would, go there. The New Testament, first book in the New Testament, should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 5. And seek my face. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, the very well-known Sermon on the Mount, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, very well known. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 6. He said, blessed are they which do hunger. Notice these words. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. If you turn over one chapter to Matthew 6, 33, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. He says, my kingdom is first, you're second. That's humility. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, it's interesting to me that he uses this terminology of hungering and thirst, because uh, a hunger or thirst is a feeling that our body feels, a sensation for a need. When you are thirsty, you have a need, a sensation for a quenching of that thirst. When you are hungry, you have a sensation, a desire to eat. God says that my people need to seek my face. They need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. They need to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's the question I have for you. Here's the question I have. What drives you? What motivates you? What is that thirst and hunger that you have? Go to Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter number 11. If you kept your place in James or 1 Peter, you're going to be right there. Right before James, you have Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Look, let's just be honest. Can we be honest? If there's one place we could be honest, I'd hope it'd be church. What drives the average American? Christian or non? Other than... Where they're going when they die, for most of them, it's basically the same thing. What drives the average American? Because I'll tell you what drives the average American. Not almighty God, the almighty dollar. What drives the average American? Is it money? Is it things? Is it power? Is it drugs? 
Is it alcohol? Is it lust? Is it fame? For some people, it's education. For many people, it's politics. Look, you should not, look, if you're crying because of who got elected as president, you're a little too connected. I'm sorry. As an idol in your life. I mean, at least you're crying because who got elected. Some grown men cry because of who won the Super Bowl. I mean, that is so stupid. Can't even begin to express. What drives you? What motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? What gets you going? What, what is it that drives you? You know, uh, is it the next vacation? Is it the next day off? Is it the next, you know, fun thing you're going to do? What is it? Here's what God says. God says, I wish my people would be driven by God. He says, I wish my people would get up every day and have a thirst and have a hunger for God. He says, if they would seek my face. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. We like that part. Here's the part we don't like. And he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Why does it say diligently seek him? Here's why. Because seeking God requires diligence. It's hard work. It's not easy. It's not easy to seek after God. You say, why, why is America not experiencing revival? See, see look, the, these truths that he gives us in Chronicles 7.14, they're true, but the reverse is true as well. You say, why is America in the state it's in? It must be because God's people are not humble. Because God's people are not praying. Because God's people are not seeking his face. Go to James chapter 4 if you would. Let me just say this. You, you say, well, how do I know? How, how do I know if I'm seeking after God? Well, you know, you should know in your heart of hearts what really drives you. But let me just say this, just some outlying things to help you, you know, see if you're seeking after God is, you know, two just real practical things is, hey, your daily Bible reading. That'll tell us a lot about if you're seeking after God. And again, don't raise your hand and don't answer out loud, but how, how much time did you actually spend in God's Word this week? Well, you know, I didn't really... Well, then, then, then if you didn't even open the Bible to read it, then how can you make the argument that you're seeking after God? See, your daily Bible reading will tell us a lot about whether you're seeking God. Your church attendance will tell us a lot about your seeking after God. I understand that we're in a time right now where people are sick and staying home because they're high risk and all those things. And I understand that. I'm not talking about that. But I I will say this. If you're able to go to church and you're choosing not to, don't tell me you're seeking after God. We need to get back to three to thrive. We need to get back to putting God first. We need to get back to God is first every day and twice on Sunday. James chapter 4 and verse 8, here's the beautiful thing about seeking God. The Bible says this, draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. We're going to talk about this here in a moment. He says, also cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. The beautiful thing about God is that God says, when you draw nigh to me, God says, you take a step towards me, I'll take a step towards you. He said, I'll I'll meet you halfway. He says, you seek me. 
you seek me. But look, the reverse is true. When we take a step from God, God takes a step from us. That's the reason we're in the state we're in. He says, God says, if my people, if my people, when they find themselves in trouble, if my people would just humble themselves, would just get a proper perspective of themselves, or just lower themselves and say, God is preeminent. If they would actually pray according to my will, believing in faith that God's will would be done, and praying for God's will to be done in our life, if they would seek my face, if they would thirst and hunger after me. Then he says, fourthly, and turn. Second Chronicles 7.14. And turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance, by the way. And this is not a verse on salvation, so don't accuse me of that. But you know, nationally, revival, saving of nations requires repentance. And turn from their wicked ways. Go to Jonah, if you would. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, if you're there in, I'm not sure if you kept your place in Isaiah or whatever, but if you're there, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Jonah chapter 3. In Jonah chapter 3, we have the example, biblical example of one of the greatest national revivals. And by the way, in this chapter, and I don't have time to go through it, I preached a whole series on Jonah. You can look at that if you'd like. This has people getting saved and the nation getting right with God. They believed God, the Bible says. So they got saved. I'm not going to focus on that. I want to focus on the national revival. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 6, notice what the Bible says. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Look, biblical preaching, biblical preaching. You say, what, what, what is the king of Nineveh doing? The, the, for, the word of the, uh, for the word came unto the king of Nineveh. Jonah shows up preaching the word of God, and the king of Nineveh responds this way. He arose from his throne. He laid down his robe from him. I'm sure he had a very nice robe. I'm sure he had very nice clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. What is that? That's humility. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and of his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Notice, there's an emphasis here on humility. We need to acknowledge God and who God is. Then he says this in verse 8, he says, And cry mightily unto God, shall humble themselves and pray. The Bible says, and seek my face. And of course, as these people are humbling themselves and praying, and getting right with God, getting saved, they're seeking the face of God. Then the fourth ingredient, and turn from their wicked way, notice what happens in Nineveh, Jonah 3, 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. They turned. You say, why? Look at verse 9. Who can tell 
if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. And by the way, this is not teaching repent of your sins for salvation. They did get saved, but this is them getting right with God. In verse 10, it says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he has said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. This is talking about God not judging their nation and bringing judgment upon their nation. Go to Habakkuk, if you would. Habakkuk chapter 3, you're there in Jonah. You have Micah, uh, uh, Nahum, and then the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3. But please understand this. Please understand this. God's people, not only do they need to humble themselves, not Not only do they need to pray, not only do they need to seek God's face, but we must turn from our wicked way. You say, why why is America in the state it's in? Because Christian believing saved Americans are watching the same filth on TV that the world is. Listening to the same worldly music that the world is. Getting divorced just like the world is. Getting drunk just like the world is. Living like the world. And we, we want to sit there and say, well, if the world would get better. And God says, well, if my people would get better. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Habakkuk chapter 3, please understand this. I don't, I don't believe that the election of, of Joe Biden is a good thing. We might be in for a dark winter, as Joe Biden said. But it might just be what this nation needs. Habakkuk chapter 3, notice what the prophet Habakkuk says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon... Shigianoth, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work. And he's speaking about God's judgment coming upon his nation. And he says, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years. He's talking about in the midst of, uh, of the judgment of God. And I'm here to tell you, you know, I really do believe that there is judgment of God coming upon this nation. And he says, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Word to God, God's people would experience a brokenness after this election. Not a Fox News, let's get out there and protest. Let's get out there and get right with God. The sin out of our lives. We get to seek after God. We get to pray for God. Humble ourselves and cry out to God that in wrath He would remember mercy. Go to Proverbs, if you would. Proverbs chapter 14. You're there. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have Proverbs. We lost something in this country. Conservative Christians lost something. when they rallied around a man like Donald Trump. Listen to me. It is a sad day in this country when the Democrat Party, when the Bill Clinton whoremonger party ran against the candidate that most conservative Christians backed under the mantra of character matters. When the baby-killing 
LGBTQ Democrats are running against a man saying, don't vote for him. He has no character. He has no integrity. And Christians just backed him. That's the reason we're in the state we're in. That's the problem with with America. It's Christians who have gone away from righteousness. Proverbs 14.34 Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. What does America need? Righteousness. Look, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. If God's people got right with God, it wouldn't matter. God gives us a recipe for revival. He says, you want revival? Don't worry about the electoral college. But they stole the election. Don't worry about that. They've been stealing the elections for years, friend. And if it was the other, if it was the other way, you wouldn't care. Look, let, let, just, let me let you in on a little secret. If you still think it's about the Republicans and the Democrats, just nobody let you in on the joke. It's two sides of the same coin. They're all new world order elitists bringing in the devil's plan. Righteousness exalted the nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Second Chronicles 7.14, if you would. See, if you ask God, what's the problem? Please understand this. The sodomites are a problem. Divorce is a problem. Hollywood is a problem. The media is a problem. Joe Biden is a problem. Kamala Harris is a big problem. And when they killed Joe Biden and put her in the White House, I don't want to hear any of these conservatives who were, who were backing Judge Amy complaining about it. Situational ethics, my wife reminded me. What is right is right, no matter who's pushing it. Quit being a compromiser. I'm against a woman in charge if it's a Democrat. How about the Bible says, let the women learn in silence without subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man, whether they're Republican or Democrat. What about actually having standards and having character and having integrity and saying what's right is right? No matter what the news says, no matter what the politicians do, what is right is right. Righteousness exalted the nation. And if we get Christians who would get back to just saying the Bible is right, period, whether you like it or not, whether you come back or not, whether you subscribe or not, whether you put me on TV or not, whether you protest against me or not, right is right. We need men of God that will preach the word of God. Boldness. See, if you ask God, what's the problem, God? You know what he'd say? If my people, if my people, which are called by my name, look, aren't you, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you a Christ, Ian? Aren't you called by his name? He says, if, if those people, what about the Sodomites? No, they're, they're a problem. But you know, God says, you know what I'm concerned with is if, if my people, because judgment must begin at the house of God. 
If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. I, want you to, I just want you to see this. We'll finish up. He says, then. Then will I hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin and will heal their land. He says, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I hear from heaven. Around midnight, Pacific Standard Time, of the election, all sorts of conservatives, videos and tweets, and start going out. Pray for the president. Pray for the president. Pray that Trump gets elected. God's not even listening. God says, you want me to hear your national cry? He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. And by the way, if God's people humbled themselves and prayed and, seek God's, and sought God's face and turned from their wicked way, they wouldn't be praying for a man like Trump. He says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God says, I will hear And I will heal if my people. Joe Biden ran as the man who can heal our nation. Even last night in his victory speech, he said that it's America's time to heal, referencing back to the book of Ecclesiastes. But you know, the Bible says that God is the one who heals nations. God is the only one who can heal this land. He says, I will hear and forgive their sin and will heal their land. See, when I, when, I say, when I say that the church house is more important than the White House, that's not just a little cliche. I actually believe that. Amen. So, Pastor Jimenez, what's the hope for America? What's going to get us through the next four years of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? If my people, which are called by my name, to humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. Look, you may not like it. It might not go well on cable TV, but that's what God thinks about it. Why is our nation in the state it's in Because of us. Because judgment must begin at the house of God. And I hope, I hope it'll begin here at Verity Baptist Church. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, you've given us the answers. The goal is God. God is not a means to an end. He is the end. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to get serious about seeking you, praying, acknowledging our position, humbling ourselves, lowering ourselves, denying ourselves, and turning from our wicked ways. That is the hope. Many people are thinking, now what? Now what do we do? 
Now what do we do after the election? You've told us what to do. You've told us to get right with you, to seek you, to know you, and to make you known. And Father, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us to have our hope in you and not in man. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.